Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Pastor Eric, Pastor Shane, Alan, for helping us out with, with the music. Welcome once again to our RBC live stream. I am Pastor Jason, and we are so thankful to the Lord that you could come and you could join us this morning, albeit virtually. Praise the Lord that we are still able to, to gather somewhat together. And I can't wait for the day when the Lord brings us back together live, not virtually, and we are all here together in the sanctuary. We are going back to the book of Acts this morning. And, and you know, sometimes as you prepare a passage of scripture, as you prepare a sermon as a preacher, as a pastor, it, it all flows together real nicely. And, and, and the work that you are doing in God's word by, by early on in the week, you know exactly where you're going. You, you, you kind of already even have a title. You have the outline. Everything is working out beautifully for you. And well, this week was nothing like that. I came up with all sorts of wonderful titles at the beginning, a, a powerfully persuasive as we're going to look at this man, Apollos. And, and, I, and I had that for, for quite a while. Then I had no fa famously fervent. Yes, yes, that, that, that's, that's got alliteration. And yet the Lord kept bringing me back to what we are going to see the middle of chapter 18, verses 23 to 28, verse 26. And he kept bringing me back to that particular verse and he kept bringing me back to my own heart saying Jason this is what you need to preach this is what you need to understand this is how you need to live Jason and so I, I changed the name of the title to do you want to be useful and of course my answer to myself as I'm writing out the the title to this sermon is of course I want to be useful Lord and yet as I saw again this week after I'd already typed out the sermon, literally practiced it one time on Thursday. I, I saw just how incredibly needy and, and honestly the, this morning as I, as I bring God's word to us this morning, I'm, I'm scared to death because the reality is that I have so far to go in this particular area that we're going to look at. And, and that became so clear as I, as I took my, my two boys surfing at Oceanside on Thursday. You see, I was under the impression that Governor Newsom had said that all the beaches in SoCal were going to be closed as of Friday. So I was thinking, man, this is the last time we have a, a chance to go surf before we're going to be out till probably the middle of June. So late in the afternoon on Thursday, we all jump in the car, me and my two sons, and, and we cruise down to Oceanside. And I'm so excited about surfing. Why? Because Blake and Wesley had gone a couple days earlier and they said that it was just insanely good. And so we, we get to the beach. We pull out our wetsuits. We pull on our wetsuits. And, and as we're going, I start to have this sinking feeling in my mind that, yes, when we get down to the beach, that this new zipper that I got for the wetsuit that I am using is not going to work. You see, this was a wetsuit that Wesley was using, my youngest son, and, and, and the zipper broke. And rather than spending $200 on a new wetsuit, I went online and I, and I found this sweet little zipper that it actually has a little clasp on it that you can, you can open it up, you can put it onto the zipper itself, and voila, it works. 
And, and at home, it did work. And the first time we surfed and I used that wetsuit, it worked. But Wesley had to help me get it on and actually zip it in order for it to work. So as we got to the, to the beach and I'm seeing the waves and, and I just can't wait to get out there. And sure enough, I go and I try to put the, the zipper on and I just can't get it to work. So I call Wesley over and, 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 and I ask him, hey, can you help me get the zipper on? And, and praise the Lord after a while. And I, and I, and I must say that even at this time, I, I started to be a, a bit of a, of a jerk to my son as it took us probably five minutes to get that zipper zipped. And, it, and at one point, the discussion was, well, Dad, it's good enough. And I'm like, no, it's not good enough. That water's cold. This thing, if the zipper is open, it's going to go down. I'm going to freeze. No, if, if this is the case, well, then you can wear this zipper, and wear this wetsuit, and I will take the wetsuit that you have on. Yeah, not, not a very godly response from a dad who wants to serve his boys, who wants to be an example for his boys, who wants to be useful to the Lord who wants to be a useful tool in the hands of the Lord. And, and I wish to say that from, from that point on, I got it. I was humble. But, you know, we surfed and we had a great time surfing. And then we get out of the water. And now it is time to take off the same wetsuit. And lo and behold, when, when, when it was zipped, it was zipped all the way to the end. And as I go to back off the zipper and unzip it, it will not move. It won't move at all. And this may not sound like a big deal to you, but for me, this was a big deal. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna have to walk all the way back up to the car with this wetsuit on and then figure out how to do it up there. There's a shower right, right there at the beach that I could use. And so I start getting frustrated. I call Wesley over to me and, and I could tell he didn't really wanna help me. And I'm like, come on, come on, come on. So we work and we work and we work and we cannot get the zipper off. So, so finally I undo the whole zipper and I break the zipper and it opens up and I take it off. And then as we're walking up to the car, I, I noticed that Wesley's feet are all sandy. And I'm like, hey, how, how come you, you didn't wash up your feet? And then he responds, and then, and then I respond, and I, and I get more and more frustrated, more and more angry with Wesley. And, and as we continue our walk, he, he approaches me and says, hey, no, I really think we need to stop talking about this, Dad. Blake jumps in. He says, Dad, you need to calm down. And, and so, so then we get back to the car. And, and you would think at that point, hey, I'm a pastor. I, I should have just let this go. But instead, I, I came at Wesley even some more with my mouth. And the way that I responded it was not gracious. It was not kind. It was not loving. I was not considering my son more important than myself. And you know what I had to do? I, I mean, I'd already asked the boys for forgiveness on the walk up. We got to the car as I'm taking everything, my wetsuit off. I, I again come after Wesley. So what do, I, what do I have to do? I have to again ask him to forgive me. I, I asked Blake to forgive me. What does it take for us to be useful? What did I want to be that day? I wanted to be an example to my boys. I wanted to show them the way that a godly man responds, even when things aren't working the way that they should work. And really what, what I did was I, and I gave up my fellowship with the Lord, my testimony before my boys, and even my relationship with my boys at that point, for a $12 little zipper tool. 
and the equivalent of five minutes on the beach as we were trying to zip the wetsuit and equivalent of five minutes on after as we were trying to unzip the wetsuit. I gave up all of that. Why? Because I am a prideful man. Because I often do not do the things that I should do. Because sometimes I do not want to take what? The humble road. And what am I going to preach on this morning? And what did I know I was going to preach on? I knew that I was going to come here to Acts and I was going to preach on humility. And I was going to preach on how important it is for us to be humble. I, I was going to say, if you want to be used by the Lord, then you must be humble. And if you want to stop the Lord's working in your life, the way to do that, a sure fire, quick way to do that is to be prideful. And that's what I was. I was more concerned about myself than I was about my boys or anything else, even those around me. Not that I was screaming at Wesley. But as far as we go, as far as our family goes, I was way out of line. Jonathan Edwards says this about, about humility. A truly humble man is sensible of his natural distance from God, of his dependence on him, of the insufficiency of his own power and wisdom, and that it is by God's power that he is upheld and provided for, and that he needs God's wisdom to lead and guide him, and his might to enable him to do what he ought to do for him. That was such a perfect example of my need for, for God's help, to truly be humble. And it really did take James. In fact, turn there with me. Before we go to Acts this morning, as a way to, to introduce where we are going to go and to, to add some more meat onto exactly what transpired in my heart, that day on the beach on Thursday at Oceanside with, with my sons. It's clear here in, in James chapter 1, verses 21 to 26, where James says this, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness, that's how I was acting. I was acting filthy. And all that remains of wickedness, I was acting wicked as well. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Even though I had prepared the sermon, even though I would spent time in God's word, I had not received the word of God the way that I should. In order to save my soul. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. And, and that's what I was like on that Thursday. My, my religion my Christianity at that time, my testimony, 
before the Lord. It was, it was worthless. Why? Because I gave into my own pride instead of being humble. Thomas Watson says this in regards to James 1, 21 to 26. Words are the mirror of the mind. They show what is in the heart. That, that's what my response to Wesley proved. It, it showed exactly what was in my heart. And as my heart was revealed, I was sickened by my own condition of my heart. Praise the Lord that God's grace is greater. Turn with me to, to Acts chapter 18. And today we're going to be looking at verses 23 to 28. But really what I want to camp out on are, are verses 24 to 28 as we are introduced to a man named Apollos. But before that, we have to understand that, that this whole set of verses takes place in the context of something that is going on. Actually, it's taking place in between something that is going on in this interim time of, of what we've seen in the book of Acts in what last week as we ended was Paul's second missionary journey. He was wrapping up his second missionary journey, and we saw in verse 22 of 18 that he, he landed in Caesarea, then he goes on to Jerusalem, then he comes back to Antioch, his home church, and picking it up in 23, we see what happens as he comes to Antioch, what he does there, and then what subsequently follows. Acts chapter 18, verse 23, and having spent some time there, speaking of Antioch, being with his home church in Antioch as a missionary returning. He no doubt was investing in the church, encouraging them, telling them all the cool things that the Lord had accomplished through their second missionary journey. And as such, I am sure that he was being recharged as well by all the things that they were recounting of what the Lord had done in Antioch while he was away. It was this mutual edifying cool thing going on. But then we see this, he left and he passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So what happens next? The apostle Paul takes off on his third missionary journey. And as he takes off on this missionary journey, he heads through Galatia. He goes back to the regions, to the very towns that he had gone to in his first missionary journey with Barnabas. That means he goes to Derby, he goes to Lystra, he goes to Iconium, he goes to Antioch and Pisidia, where, where he might have contracted malaria. He, he goes to Iconium, where they tried to stone him. He goes to Lystra, where, where they tried to treat him like a god, like, like he and, and Barnabas were Zeus and, and Hermes. And he goes back to all of those churches for the sole intent purpose of strengthening them, of encouraging them in the Lord. And yet really what he's, what he's intending to do on this third missionary journey, he, he's not intending just to go to Galatia. That is not his main objective in this third missionary journey. He's heading somewhere. And do you know where he's heading? He's heading back to Ephesus. He, he wants to go to Ephesus. He wants to check up on Aquila and Priscilla and see how the church planting effort is going there. Because remember, his heart was for Ephesus. 
but he only spent so much time on us way back in his second missionary journey in Ephesus. So now he's heading back to Ephesus. He's just taking a bit of a round robin way to get there. And on his way to Ephesus, which will really be his first time in Ephesus, he stops off and he, and he encourages these Galatian churches, these churches in all these places that were now established. And then as we pick things up in verse 24, what we see is that while Paul was in Antioch, before he even takes off on his third missionary journey, and while Paul was traveling through all of these regions in Galatia, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and the other Antioch, while all of that was going on with the apostle Paul, there is something going on in Ephesus. That there is a man that the Lord is preparing for his service. There is a man that we are going to be introduced here in verse 24 to. That the Lord desires to use to, to help build his church. And that man's name is Apollos. And as we look at the life of Apollos, what we see is the answer to this question. Do you want to be useful? Because what we are going to see is Apollos was a man useful for the Lord. He, he was an instrument in the Lord's hands. And why was he such a great instrument in the Lord's hands? What Was it because solely of his personality, of his engiftments, of his teaching, of his upbringing, of his education, of, of all of these things? And I would say those are all secondary. And what we are going to see is the main reason why Apollos is so used by the Lord is humility. And yet, as we look at this, it's not something that just comes right out to you. But it's here in these verses. So look with me at, at Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 28, as we see the kind of man that the Lord uses, a useful man. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. Being acquainted only with the baptism of John, he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Let me pray for, for our time in the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your all-sufficient word, and how powerful it is. We ask that you would teach us this morning from your word, that you would allow us to see what is needed for us to be useful for. That is our heart's desire, that we would be useful for you, a useful tool in your hand day in and day out. And in order to, to be that, in order to do that, we need your help. We need to understand your word. 
and all that is contained in your word. So help us now. Help me in Jesus' name. Amen. So today what we are going to see is the kind of man God uses. What is the kind of man that that God uses and, and what I am going to present, what I believe we see in this is what he uses first and foremost is a humble man. I am not saying that, that the Lord doesn't use Apollos and, and how he was raised, where he was raised, what his particular personality traits are, what his strengths are, and, and all sorts of other things, but all of that comes secondary. And all of that is useful only based on whether or not he is humble. And it is the same for you and I. We must be humble. That is the kind of person that God uses. And what we will see this morning is that, that God uses his past as a time of preparation. And in the way that he humbly responds even to his past. And God will use his present. Even in the way that he responds humbly to correction. And we will see that God uses really what, what is considered. We can look at it as his future. As he humbly serves the Lord. And if I were going to go ahead and define humility this morning. How would I define humility? You can find all sorts of definitions for what it really truly means to, to be humble. And, and you could look at a dictionary and that wouldn't really give you a, a Christian perspective, a Christian definition. It would just say something like just lowly and that's all that it is. And yet I, I would say that a, a good working definition for humility that at least in, in my own heart and life right now that I think, man, this is good is this, a godly posture of the heart a godly posture of the heart and who is the model who is the example we, we could look at jesus christ who being god actually humbled himself and submitted himself to the will of the father over and over and over again and if he is our example and jesus christ submitted to the father then oh so much more that we should submit to the father that we should recognize how great God is and how nothing we are, how small we are. So what we will see this morning in the life of this man, Apollos, is that he was useful to the Lord. He was a useful tool in the Lord's hand. And we'll see this as he is humble in the way that the Lord prepares him. He is Humble as he is corrected and he is humble in the way that he serves him. First, we see this humility in his preparation in verses 24 to 26, just the first half of 26. As we see a little bit of the background of Apollos. Again, as Luke gives us a depiction, he doesn't give us every detail. There is so much missing in this account. And yet what he does choose to give us is telling as to the kind of man Apollos was. First, we see that he was a Jew, now a Jew named Apollos. So that means that he had an upbringing in Judaism. He had an upbringing in the word of God and the Old Testament. So he was well versed in the Old Testament. Then we see he's an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man. 
What does that mean? That means that he was brought up in, in, in one of the most educational, educationally oriented cities during this whole time. It, it was the hub of philosophy, the hub of thought, the, the hub of education. This is where you went if you wanted to go to university, if you wanted to go to grad school. And this is where he grew up. There were great men, philosophers that, were, that are known throughout history like Philo that taught right during this time. And Apollos could have been a student of Philo. And so as a result, he would have learned all sorts of skills. Skills of debate, skills on communication. And all of this did help shape him. But do you also see how all of this could have helped wreck him? This could have been something that is that as he looked back at all that he had and all the ways that he had been educated and how smart and influential he was and, and, and this and that, that this could have been something that, that just grew his pride more and more and more and more to such an extent that he wouldn't listen to anybody outside of his particular circles. And yet what we are going to see is that he is teachable. He is humble. He's willing to admit that he didn't know everything. And as we see all these depictions about him, an eloquent man, that, that's speaking to, to the fact that, that he was powerful in the way that he could communicate, that his sweet, that his speech to people was sweet and easy to listen to. But look at what it says at the end of verse 24. And recognize this is not said of any other person in, in Scripture as far as the apostles or anyone like that. Jesus for sure was like this, but no other man is described like this. For it says he was mighty in the Scriptures. What, what do you do with that? Well, he was a man of the Word of God. He could use God's Word and not just use it a little bit. He wasn't pretty good with the Scriptures. He wasn't okay with the scriptures. He was mighty in the scriptures. Think about the sermons that we've heard from Peter already in the book of Acts. The sermons that we've heard from Paul and how people respond. And, and now what, what we are told is that this man, Apollos, he was like them. No, he actually is held a, a, a bit higher, saying that he is mighty in the scriptures. So much so that when 1 Corinthians is written by Paul, do you, do you know what the Corinthians were struggling with? They were struggling with division, saying, oh, I follow this guy, and oh, I follow that guy. And do you know who they, who they say that they are following? Oh, they say, well, I follow Peter. Oh, no, I follow Paul. And others say, no, I follow Apollos. What? He's put on the same level as the two greatest apostles. This was no little man. This was a man who was powerful in the scriptures. He was mighty in the scriptures. And then we see in verse 25 that, that he was instructed in the way of the Lord. And he was fervent in spirit. So he walked with the Lord. And he was fervent in spirit. What does that mean? That means he was enthusiastic about following the Lord. He was enthusiastic about his faith. And yet notice that when it says fervent in the spirit, that spirit, there is a small s. And I believe that's significant. Why? Because a question that we would have to ask is, is Apollos saved? 
What, what is the deal with Apollos? And, and I would say that up to this point, until Priscilla and Aquila speak with him, that, that he is not truly saved. He is more of what we would look at as an Old Testament believer. He knew the name of Jesus. He knows a lot of the scripture, but, but it seems that, that his understanding of Jesus is limited. And how do I know that? Well, because it says that, that he was only acquainted with the baptism of the Spirit. I mean, I'm sorry, the baptism of John. Meaning that what he was missing was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what John did? John pointed forward. And as John baptized men, women, children, what, what was he doing that for? He was saying, one coming behind me is going to be greater than I am. We're doing this in order to repent so that we can be prepared when the Messiah comes. And to some extent, Apollos must have heard of Jesus. But all that he knew of was this baptism of John. He's missing a, a, a huge, huge, important piece of the puzzle when it comes to our Christian faith. He did not yet understand the death, burial, and, resu death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he was missing that. For all that he did know, he needed more light. He needed more truth. And for as humble as he was, not putting himself up on this great big pedestal, there was still something that he needed to learn more about. He needed to learn more about the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps this morning you've heard of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've heard of Jesus just as this man Apollos had. But what you haven't heard is the whole story. Well, please keep listening as we are going to hear the whole story about the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you do with a man like Apollos? who seems to be used by the Lord so greatly, right? He's teaching in the synagogue, and, and, he's, and he's teaching powerfully. And yet as you go to the synagogue and you hear him, you, you notice that, that something's missing. And so at that particular point, you now have a choice. Aquila and Priscilla had a choice. Do they stand up and do they leave the synagogue because, because he still doesn't understand some things? Do they stand up and openly refute him? No, you, you don't do that. You graciously come alongside him. And that's exactly what they do. And so in this, I believe, again, as we look at this, we see lessons on humility all over the place in these verses. Not only from Apollos, but from Aquila and Priscilla. Look at how they respond to his teaching. And notice that he teaches accurately. You can teach accurately, but you can still not teach enough. There's, there's lots of, of guys that, that are well-meaning. And when you listen to them preach, everything sounds good. But, but what doesn't sound good is that something is missing, such as hell. Yes, there is an eternal punishment, such as a clear definition of sin missing the mark, such as the fact that, that death and burial, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ is essential. There is only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. 
And what we must gain is the kind of discernment that we see in Aquila and Priscilla. That they could hear him and they could, they could say, oh yes, he is teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus Christ, but he still has missed some things. And so what do they do? Right here in verse 26, as we see him speaking out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And then we see next he wants to go to Corinth. Again, Luke doesn't fill in all the details. What's missing? What's missing is his response. What's missing is what did he say? What's missing is how did this whole little interlude go on between the Priscilla and Aquila talking with Apollos and Apollos talking back and forth? And where's the dialogue? Where's all of that? We don't see any of that. But we can assume from the direction that he goes from here. He's not in the synagogue in verse 27. He's no longer in Ephesus in verse 27. He wants to go somewhere else. What has happened? He has humbled himself. And you and I, we must be humble in correction, even more so. You want to know what one of the biggest problems was for me at Oceanside on Thursday? It wasn't, it wasn't the zipper, which, which you can't even see. That's how small it is. It, it wasn't the zipper. That, that's not what the problem was. It was my heart. It was the fact that even though the Lord in his grace allowed my boys to call me out and to let me know, Dad, you are not responding properly. You are not talking kindly to Wesley. Dad, we need to stop talking. I wouldn't listen. I was not humble in correction. Man, now tell him. And what we see in the life of Apollos is not this at all. You see, he was well-versed. He had a gospel. And I wonder if his gospel actually was, yes, Jesus came. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah. But you need to be baptized in the name of John. That that is possibly what Apollos was preaching in the synagogue. That yes, he was saying, yes, you need to trust in this Jesus as the coming Messiah, but, but you still need to be baptized in John. Why? Because when, when we talk about the baptism of John, that was done in anticipation and preparation. It's not something done in complete fulfillment. But when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is why I don't believe that that S should be capitalized when it talks about him being fervent in the spirit. That's talking about his own spirit, not the Holy Spirit. He, he, he yet, yet did not understand the Holy Spirit and his part to play in salvation and how he baptizes us into Jesus Christ, how he identifies us with Jesus Christ. Why? Because he did not yet understand the gospel fully. He did not yet understand that Jesus Christ was put upon a cross, that he hung upon the cross, not because he was a sinner. He is perfect. He was God. He hung upon the cross to pay for the sins of others, to be their scapegoat, to be their sacrificial lamb. In fact, I would think that at some point as, and notice, even this to me is a lesson in humility. Notice who is mentioned first when it talks about who does the talking. 
to Apollos. It doesn't say Aquila and Priscilla. No, when Luke writes it, he, he writes Priscilla and Aquila. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Jason. Are you saying that Priscilla was a pastor? No, this isn't a church. What, what the idea here is, is that after the synagogue, they come to Apollos, Apollos and they say, hey, buddy, you, you want to come to our house? Let, let's share a meal together. And as, as he comes to their house, at some point, some, some dialogue starts happening. And maybe the dialogue was, was began by Aquila. And then at some point, Priscilla, his wife, jumps in. And she recounts that blessed gospel to him. Is that perfectly acceptable? You bet it is. Please. Our wives, all of our kids, they should be sharing the gospel with people, especially those who come into our homes. And so maybe what this looked like was they, they start off with, man, Apollos, you are a gifted communicator. You are so enthusiastic. You know God's word. And, and we thank the Lord for you, brother. But this one who you spoke of, this Jesus, do, perhaps you don't know him fully. Do you understand that, that he is the sacrificial lamb of God? Do you understand that he is the savior, that he died? that he was buried for three days, that he then rose again, and now he ascended. Do you understand this? And perhaps uh, Apollos, as he, as he responded back to them, he was like, well, wait, what, what are you guys talking about? No, no, I, I, I thought this was about looking forward. You're, you're not saying this is all done? And so then they went and told him how Jesus had died, how Jesus ha had been risen from the dead and how he had finally ascended. So how could Apollos miss this, right? We're now in Acts chapter 18, about to finish chapter 18. We're a long way into the book of Acts. And we know that many years, in fact, most believe about 20 years has transpired, has gone by since Jesus ascended. Are you telling me, Pastor Jason, after 20 years, he was still living only in the light of John the Baptist teaching? That's exactly what I'm telling you. And we're going to see that even more in, in Acts chapter 19. Why was that? Well, one of the main key factors that's so important in understanding Apollos is where he's from. He's from Alexandria. That is Egypt. That's a long ways from Jerusalem. Could it be that throughout all this time, even though people had come and shared in Alexandria and Egypt, there were parts of the puzzle. There were true parts of the true understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ that were not communicated. Yes, I believe that could definitely have been the case. And, and that is why Apollos didn't understand everything about the Lord Jesus Christ. But once he does understand, oh man, his life is turned upside down and changed forever. He, he becomes, in essence, a missionary just like the Apostle Paul. And he's no longer even content staying in Ephesus. He's like, man, I got to go somewhere else. I want to keep telling more and more people about this. Are you kidding me? Now I understand the Old Testament even better, which is how the Lord uses him so mightily. But think about how gracious and wise Priscilla and Aquila are in the way that they deal with this man. They don't come at him in public. They come at him graciously in wisdom. 
And, and what a lesson for us. We must pray to the Lord to, to give us wisdom and how we listen to others. First, we, we see wisdom in them recognizing that there was something missing in what Apollos was teaching. When, when you listen to, to someone online, when, when you go and, and, and you listen to a pastor, you must hear everything that he's saying and not just hear what he's saying, but hear what he is not saying. Is there something that he is forgetting to say that is oh so important? That's part of the wisdom that we see in Aquila and Priscilla. Do you think that as Aquila and Priscilla were saying these things to Apollos, that they recognized what would become of Apollos, that he would become such a great Bible teacher? And one of the greatest Bible te teachers of the early church. In fact, some believe he's the one who wrote the book of Hebrews. It doesn't say who wrote the book of Hebrews, but many scholars spend all this time theorizing over the fact, oh, was it Paul or was it Apollos? And a lot say Apollos. I say all of that just to say that the Lord uses this man mightily. But there's no way that Aquila and Priscilla knew that at this point. We never know what the Lord is going to do through the interaction that we have with others. Case in point, a man named Hugh Latimer, who was involved in the Reformation in England. He was a very learned man like Apollos from the finest of schools, and he had great influence. He was a man in spiritual leadership. He was a bishop. But what he's best known for is really his death, and how he died, because he was burned at a stake. And when he was burned at a stake, a man was burned at the stake with him, right next to him. And this man's name was Nicholas Ridley. And as they are both being burned at the stake, Hugh Latimer looks at Nicholas Ridley, and this is what he says. These are his final words. Be brave, Master Ridley. And play the man. We shall this day, by the grace of God, light such a candle in England as I trust shall never be put out. And that was the dying testimony of Hugh Latimer. He said, play the man. But you know what? Hugh Latimer had not always played the part correctly. For many, many years, he was involved in all sorts of religious systems. He was a priest, and, and he would take the confessions of men, but he himself was not saved. And a young monk who, who the Lord saved got to know this man, Hugh Latimer, and, and he wanted so desperately to share the gospel with Hugh Latimer, but, but he thought, there's no way Hugh Latimer is going to listen to me. So how do I do this? How do I share the gospel with, with this priest? And he decided, you know what, I'm going to do it in confession. So he tells Hugh Latimer, yes, I, I, I want to come to you in confession. And yet, instead of going and confessing his, his own sins, merely he confesses the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he tells them that, that he was a sinner and that now by faith, he was trusting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that he was not trusting in his own works, that because of his Faith in Jesus Christ, the very righteousness of Christ had been imputed to him. 
apart from good works. And after he confessed this, the gospel of Jesus Christ to Hugh Latimer, that's when Hugh Latimer's life changed and he trusted in Christ. And that's how he could end his life being burned at the stake and, and say, hey, this is going to be a candle that the Lord will use to impact so many for his kingdom. This is the same thing that happened to Apollos. By God's grace, Priscilla and Aquila come and they share with him. And, and then through that encounter and, and through, I don't know if that was a dinner or exactly how it, how it happened, but he definitely became saved. What if they had remained silent? What if they had said, you know what? This guy's just a little bit too educated for us. He knows a whole lot more than either of us do. Man, let's just be quiet. What, what would have happened then? Well, who knows how long it would have taken for Apollos to get saved. Or what if Apollos had responded the way that I responded to my boys? Basically shirking them and just stiff-arming them and not taking that from the Lord and allowing the Holy Spirit and his conviction to work and say, oh my, yes, you were right. I need to just stop talking and I need to ask you forgiveness and leave it at that. Listen, when someone approaches you and confronts you because of sin, do not resist. Receive this rebuke with as much humility as you can and ask the Lord to reveal to you what things are true about what they're bringing. And remember, if you were on the side of Priscilla and Aquila, the goal in approaching someone isn't to make yourself feel better, isn't to make yourself look better, isn't to nail them and make them feel real bad. The goal is their Christ-likeness. The goal is their maturity. Why? Because there's something in their life that they don't see, and that is hindering their growth. And by God's grace, just, just think how wonderful, what a joy it was to have this couple come to Apollos. And yet, how many times do we look at situations like that and go, this is the most terrible thing ever? No, this is what the Lord uses in our lives. This is how he corrects us. Mostly because we're so hard-hearted that we won't listen any other way. And we see as a result of this what happens. As Apollos is... is being humble in the way that the Lord prepares him. And, and we need to be humble in the way that the Lord is preparing us. And as he is humble in the way that someone comes and corrects him, we need to be humble as well. And as he does that, what we see last and finally is that he is humble in service. And we need to be humble in service. Look at verses 27 and 28. And let me close with this. And when he, meaning Apollos, wanted to go across to Achaia, that's, that's Corinth, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. You see, before when he was teaching, he was teaching the things concerning Christ. Now as he begins teaching, he begins teaching Jesus was the Christ. It is emphatic. He knows that Jesus is definitely the promise, the coming one. But how do we know that Apollos was indeed humble in service? 
Again, as we look at the scripture and these two verses, he only gives us two verses that, that really tell of a great big story, just as he only gives us a little bit about the interaction between Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. Notice that it said that he wanted to go across to Corinth, to Achaia. But then it doesn't say, so then he went. No, then it says that the brethren, the body, the church in Ephesus encouraged him in this and actually took it a step further and, and wrote some sort of letter of recommendation. So what's understood, what's implied, he must have gone to the church and he, and he must have let everybody know, you know what, the, the Lord is laying it upon my heart to go over to Corinth and to be an encouragement to the body there. What do you guys think? And then how did they respond? They responded with, with, with double thumbs up. Are you kidding? Yes, that would be awesome. I think the Lord would use you greatly over there. And, and then some of the leaders in the church in Ephesus, they must have decided, well, let's take it even a step further. We are so encouraged with you. And we believe that, that you are just the kind of man the Lord wants to use over there. We're going to write you a letter of recommendation so they know exactly who you are and that we have endorsed you. And could it be that this letter came from Aquila and Priscilla? Remember, they're the ones that were in Corinth. They know all of these believers. And they are now the ones that are, that are planting this church in Ephesus. Oh, how cool to see the Lord work it out like that. But let me just mention one word about Apollos. With all that we see about Apollos, that he was a great communicator, that he was full of enthusiasm. That, that, that he was persuasive in his speech, that he was encouraging the believers, that he was evangelizing the Jews and the Lord was using him. There's something missing. Do you know what it is that's missing? It's, it's miracles. What, where are the miracles? Where, where's the speaking in tongues? Where's the, okay, if he's like Paul and like Peter, well, well where's the shadow that he casts on people as he walks by healing them? Where's all the demons that, that he's just commanding to leave? We, we don't see any of that. Why? Well, I wonder if it's because the, the Lord is trying to let us know that, that, that these miracles and all these things, that that's not to be the key foundation of his church. That the key foundation of the church is this, the man who is mighty in the scriptures. The man who relies upon the Holy Spirit is humble and is all about God's word. What's needed to be used and held in high regard wasn't so much the signs and the wonders, but the preaching of God's word. And so we see, remember, God uses the humble. Those who are willing and humble. Those who respond to those who are correcting him humbly, those who recognize that, that the preparation that God is doing in their lives, they need to look at that humbly. They need to respond to that humbly. And those who, by God's grace, are serving him humbly. For we know what happens if we're not humble. First Peter 5, 5 says, says it oh so succinctly. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Our pride will just stop God from working. And none of us want that. And I believe we can see that in, in the life of this man, Apollos. 
we, we have some, some points to ponder. Consider how Apollos takes the teaching of Priscilla and Aquila so humbly. How would you have responded? How willing are you to take correction? Isn't it crazy to, to think that I wrote this all down before this all happened on Thursday, and I still didn't even stop and think about it? Why is it a good thing to have another believer correct you? How much more do you still need to learn? Number two, consider how Aquila and Priscilla pursue correcting Apollos, and he turns into one of the greatest teachers in the Bible. How might God want to use you in the lives of others? How important is correction and faithfulness to each other in Christ's church? How important do you make it? How important do I make it? And number three, consider how powerfully God used Apollos to strengthen Christ's church and to be a witness. How does that encourage your heart as you consider your own life? How might God want to use you? And what would it take? The answer obviously is a, a humble heart, a humble life. I believe humility is a, is a great topic of discussion for us to, to have been thinking about as we come now to the Lord's Supper. If you have your Bibles, you could turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Real quickly, this is just all preparation. Luke 22, verses 14 to 20, we are going to see what Jesus says to his disciples on what is known as the Last Supper. The last time that he celebrates the, the Passover feast with them and the things that he says. For it's a reminder of how great Christ is and how much we need him as we come to the Lord's table. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Notice this was something that Christ really wanted to do. Because it is something that we as believers are really supposed to be doing. Not virtually like we are now. Man, this really is second rate. What we really need to be doing is meeting together. But we can't right now. But let's trust the Lord that we will be able to meet together. For I say to you, Jesus says, I, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Can, can you understand the significance of what he's saying? He's saying, hey, I will not do this again until the kingdom. Do you, do you get the fact that, and, and I don't think about this very much when it comes to communion. He's promising, hey, we are going to do this together. In fact, I'm not going to do it until the kingdom comes. At that time, we will all, all gather together. And just as we are looking forward right now to the time when the church again is full and we can gather together and, and we can pass down the, the, the communion, the elements together. And, and, and as you pass them to me, I pass them on to you. And right now we can't do that. Also recognize that there is a day coming when Jesus will be leading us like And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. We're, we're not going to take the elements quite yet. We're, we're going to listen to a song, and I would just encourage you to just turn this into a, a time of remembrance and a, and, a, and a time of reflection on all that Jesus Christ has done for us and how needy we are and how blessed we are of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross.